Welcome to Reframe and Reset Your Career, a podcast to help if you're looking for a job, feeling stuck in your career, or just trying to rediscover your why. I am your host, Harsha Boralesa, and this podcast came from my passion for neuroscience and psychology and their interaction with career and personal development. I will be interviewing recognized experts and successful professionals and asking them to share the insights and strategies that have helped their careers thrive. Implementing change is not easy and does take time, but I do hope that their stories will inspire you on your path to greater success and fulfillment in your career. Here are some highlights of today's episode. If you look at different things, you will end up looking at things differently. And the takeaway is that plants don't think, people do. Your control is over how you react, nothing else. Sometimes the best help is a safe space to vent and rent. We owe it to ourselves to be best friends with ourselves. There are situations in life or work where the most control you have over what is happening is your inner self-talk. Thank you so much for joining me today on episode 50 of the Reframe and Reset Your Career podcast. Firstly, a huge thank you to the Reframe and Reset Your Career listeners and viewers for their amazing support. Please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or the email in the show notes. It would be amazing to hear from you. Now back to the show. Minola is fascinated by people and passionately curious about what makes them tick. A journalist by trade and a change manager by choice. She stumbled upon change management two decades ago through a series of fortunate circumstances and has been enjoying every day since. Involved in various business transformation projects with a key people focus across cultures, geographies, industries and sectors. A firm believer in positive disruption and a relentless advocate for storytelling as a critical life and business sense-making literacy. She shares a birthday with Einstein enjoys pizza, late night conversations, and the movie We Bought a Zoo. (laughs) Welcome, Minola. Welcome to everybody listening in. And and it's such a joy to, to be here. Oh, fantastic. And and you can see, Minola, I've been reading your posts to get all this <laughs> interesting information about yourself. So I, ha- I haven't been stalking you, just LinkedIn. <laughs> I welcome all friendly stalkers out there. And, and that is such a gift knowing that my, my writing and my random thoughts uh, get people's time and curiosity. That's always a gift. Oh, fantastic. And and the funny thing is that uh, Minola and I did not know each other until a year ago. And then she kindly liked one of my posts on uh, Dr. Christian Bush, the author of Connect the Dots. Then I reached out to her, we connected, and here we are, serendipity in action. Absolutely. I, I do believe that connecting dots is such a amazing, magic-making um, talent in life and in work. And and I also think it's about not worrying about the result because I think so many people are worried about being rejected and they'll think that person doesn't like me. But actually, I think life is very much sometimes about a numbers game. You just have to try and connect with as many people. You have to try with as many people as possible. You know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I think if you don't at least try, then you have no chance of, of being connected. And, you know, where I'm in London, you're in Basel, um, and the likelihood of us connecting is very minimal unless I reach out to you or vice versa. And here we are. Absolutely. It was um, it was one of those moments. And, and I learned quite a few years ago that, you know, what's the worst that would happen? You could get a no. Yeah. And that for me is actually a win because you take that energy that you assign to a person or an outcome or a task and you simply just repurpose it. I actually believe and just easing into the title of, of your amazing podcast, um, <laughs> I do believe that the worst thing that you could give people is no answer. I'm I'm sure that every now and again, uh, you are right there on LinkedIn when someone, you know, talks about recruiters nev- never going back to candidates and equally candidates never going back to either, you know, rescheduling or canceling appointments. Yeah, I think that is actually much worse than a very fair and very, you know, full owned no. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I totally agree. And, and also, I think when you're... Um 
trying to connect with people. Um, you know, you can do all the sort of uh, rational thinking and think, okay, are they in my sector? Uh, do we have I don't know common interests? But I think sometimes you have to just listen to your gut instinct. And I'm very much about, you know, like say with the show, you know, the guests that I get, you know, some are recommendations, some are people I see on the internet. And then sometimes you just get a good vibe about people. I think definitely the people that I've gone with, with a good vibe, the majority of them have said yes. Sometimes I think we should trust ourselves a bit more um, rather than less. I mean, what do you think, uh, Minola? There's this absolute wonderful saying that um, gut feelings are our guardian angels. Um, and I believe that that, ap- that applies equally on the positive and, and on the negative side. I learned to trust my gut instincts more and more. I could never explain why people look at rational and emotional as being a very binary thing. So you're either or. Yeah. Um, I do believe that we are a combination. For example, my uh, most favorite communication model for change, the original is called Rider Elephant Pass, where the rider stands for rational, the elephant stands for emotional, and the path stands for practical. It was borrowed by many other uh, big corporations, and it actually got rebranded into Head, Heart, Hands. The reason why I prefer the original one is because between the rider and the elephant, you have a very visually impacting difference in both size and agility. I keep um, using that throughout my, my work. And actually, not just my work, but also in my interactions with the people in my life. It's not a very pharmacy accurate 33.33% rational and, you know, emotional and practical. And then whatever is left is, is basically luck. But we all blend these triggers and we all blend these, these stimuli. And it was very funny. I had my best friend over, over the past week and we had some girl time, which is basically, you know, open the wardrobe and, and look through clothes. <laughs> um, and, and that was, you know, the, the uh, rider elephant path in action. Of course, I stumbled upon a pair of jeans, you know, that are pretty far back from, from the past. But, you know, rationally, I can come up with a diet and with a healthy way of living. You know, practically, I know how to get the resources going and, you know, what are the steps. But emotionally, it's still that pair of jeans that you just can throw away because somehow we all generate our, inner, you know, Russian dolls. And I know that there's a, a smaller me inside of me. So it's combining all of these. I know. I just love that. And I'm, I'm a big fan of elephants. So uh, yeah, I love hearing <laughs> they're my favorite animal. <laughs> I don't know why elephants get so picked on. You know, it's like the elephants in the room. And then there's the saying, you know, don't feed the elephants, which basically means, you know, stop doing avoidance, avoidance work. And, and then is how do you eat an elephant? Um, I, I don't know why elephants are so picked on, really. <laughs> I, I resonate with them deeply. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so again, we, we both have a big love of the arts. And I was just wondering, is there a, a performer, song, book or film which you'd like to share, which um, you know, resonates with you? Actually, this might sound quite funny, but my favorite movie ever is Happy Feet. Wow. And for, for those of, of our listeners uh, not being very acquainted with the cartoons uh, cinema, it's that cartoon about the dancing penguin that is born into the colony of singing penguins. I would include Happy Feet in any training on change management because it shows us how oftentimes our first reflex to something that is different is to dismiss it yeah. and to ultimately label it as not okay. Yeah. And very, very often it goes to show that is about how we combine different things, how we connect dots that are seemingly different. One of the sayings that that I use, I don't know if you're familiar with that series of cartoons with connecting the dots. Disconnected dots are information, then you have knowledge, then you have some connections and that's experience. And then you have cat made up of connecting dots in a creative way. And that is, uh, that is creativity. And I oftentimes use that slide with the caption of, if you look at different things, you will end up looking at things differently. And I think that's such a powerful reminder 
So absolutely Mambo Happy Feet as my favorite as my favorite movie. Oh, regarding books, this is um this is tricky. I always say that my favorite book is always the next one. And I do believe in in Tsundoku, in that Japanese trend of buying books, knowing fully well that you won't be able to read them because it keeps you humble regarding the things that you don't know yet. I also have my favorite tote bag with it's not hoarding if it's books. I developed quite uh, a special relationship with William Golding's The The Prince of Flies. Okay. Cool. Um so that was uh that was something that I resonated with. For some reason the only books that I could never resonate with were those very prescriptive how to in 5 days in 10 breaths in in 32 steps. And while I do recognize the value of structure and discipline and their nudge in creating uh, habits, for some reason, they sound a little bit judgmental to me. I like that point you make about, you know, you need to put yourself into sort of different circumstances, because I think in life, if if all you're doing is you're sort of seeing the same type of people, uh, you're doing the same thing the whole time, you have a very sort of final narrow view of the world. And you, it's very, it's sometimes difficult to empathize with other people's situations. And then as a leader, or if you want to change things, uh, all you're doing is you're having your past experience, which is a very narrow view. And I think sometimes you have to force yourself to, to do different things. And, and I think life is just changing so quickly that if you can't be adaptable, and we'll get on to this later on, that I think it's you're going to struggle in, in both life and in the workplace. So, Minil, um, I saw that you started off, you trained as a journalist at the University of Bucharest and then started off working as a PR and marketing manager. Now, h- how was that? <laughs> that was that was life, I guess. I knew that I wanted to be a journalist since I was twelve years old. Oh, wow! Um, I remember I was coming <clears throat> home from from school, and we had this back in Romania. One of my favorite teachers at that time um, was my Romanian language teacher, and she used to give us a lot of homeworks around writing essays and 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 just writing, creative writing, basically quite a primitive kind of creative writing. Yeah. And I remember I wrote this essay about my vacation and how I came back home and I was met at the train station by by an aunt. And and right as she was putting my grade in that catalog, she very offhandedly said, I think writing is something that, you know, you could do for a living. And I remember I was I was um, walking home. I was very much in love with with books by then. And I was thinking, writing, writing, writing as a novelist seemed a little bit of too much effort for me at at that time. But then I was like, I like traveling and I like meeting new people. And my parents always, always told me that I asked too many questions for for my own good. And I was like, oh, I want to be a journalist. And I went home and I told my parents, I'm going to be a journalist. I really don't care about your doctor, lawyer, economist dreams, you know, wake up and smell the newspaper. And I knew I wanted to be a newspaper journalist. So that was my dream. And and I had a scholarship in the U.S. with Syracuse University. That's where I got got my first diploma in in mass communication studies. And then I worked as a journalist with the leading uh, Romanian business weekly. And at some point I quit. It was, you know, early 2000s, um, a lot of overlap between marketing and media planning and, and actually building, you know, the content of the newspaper. And I had all these young and hopeful and very binary back then ideas about what writing should be like. So I quit and I said, look, if, if I am to right based on orders, I want to be able to properly invoice for them. So I went into PR and marketing. But somehow I ended up doing PR and marketing mostly for HR services companies. Uh, One of the columns that I used to write as a journalist was about human resources. It was late 90s, early 2000s, back in Romania, um, you know, the, the days where doing business was still pretty much a discovery journey. So it was fascinating to me. 
Cool. No, fantastic. And then how, how did you move on from that into change management? And was it easy for you to make the move? And was it an intentional thing that you thought, okay, this has happened, I'm, I want to move into change management? It was not intentional in the sense that I had this particular outcome in mind. If I look at, at my career journey, it might look quite a squiggly line. There's mm-hmm. this wonderful book by Angela Champ, The Squiggly Line Career. But what is intentional is that everything that I did, although seemingly disconnected from what I did before, had people at its center. And I somehow naturally, and, and it was not intentional, I somehow naturally grew into this consulting or consultingly type of position. And I think that is something that is, is my journalism mindset inertia. You know, this absolute joy of asking questions, of connecting the dots, of triangulating information, of looking for the story, and also putting information in a certain hierarchy. It wasn't, it wasn't difficult because I never had something very clear in my mind. But whenever I heard something that was interesting or whenever I heard something that, oh, I haven't done that before, I knew I have to go for it. That's also how my career grew. I just heard something that sounded new and interesting and difficult and challenging and I went for it. That's great for our listeners because it shows that I think whatever you're doing, there are things that you can always pick up, you know, in whatever project or whatever role you're in. And I think sometimes people... um tend to think, okay, if it's a simple task or it's a mundane task, there's nothing that I can pick up from it. But actually, there are always things that you can pick up. And I think these skills are really important sort of later on down the line, and you never know where they'll be important. So say take with the, the, the podcast and the YouTube channel. I had no experience in podcasting, no experience in YouTube. So I'm sure some people will say he still has none. But clearly, you know, 50 episodes later, there must be something that I'm doing well. And also, you know, clearly you have to develop, you know, you get better over time. So I think you're always picking things up. And, you know, I think if you're intentional and, and you know, I edit the episodes and I, I watch what I'm doing so I can see, you know, what works, what doesn't work. So, and also subliminally, I think there are things that are seeping in just by doing things again and again. Um, and I think it does just show that, you can always learn. You can always get better. And what it, whatever it is you're doing, you, you know, I'm sure there are things from, say, five years ago or even 10 years ago, which are coming into the podcast, which I probably didn't realize. But because I was doing those then and doing those hopefully uh, well, that comes through later. I mean, wh- what are your thoughts, Minola, on that? Well, as I was listening to you, there was something that I, I remember while um, looking forward to our conversation, I made a mental post-it note with. <laughs> Um, I actually learned two things. And this learning process was, you know, painful at at points. Of course, we should all be very intentional in what we want and what good looks like, at least not in a very specific, in a very concrete outcome. But what is that inspires us? It was very clear to me that I am a raging extrovert. So working directly with people, oftentimes being in challenging situations, conversations and interactions are are key to who I am, not just to what I do. And and maybe we can pick up on this um, a little bit later on. But at the same time, what I learned by making less fortunate decisions in my career and also in my life is what I don't want to do. Even if it's just a task and we consider it mundane, maybe the value is you learn a boundary and you learn to recognize things that you can say no to, if not from the beginning, at least very early on. You know, there's this uh, joke, but very real uh, information in it that didn't you see the red flags? Oh, yes, but I thought it was a carnival. And that's not a good situation, <laughs> yeah. you know, not in life and, and not in work. With With this, you know, how you grow and what matters to you and how you go about it, this links back to the very small exchange we had around Federer. Yeah, yeah of course, yeah. And, and how things happen in, in life. And I just want to uh, very briefly give a bit of context. Uh, he had a uh, conversation with Trevor Noah, and he talked about how tennis, like 
other sports out there, and also like many businesses out there, became very much about statistics and about you know a numbers driven decision making process. Very mechanical, very statistics, very numbers, and it somehow takes away the joy and the sheer delight of doing something that you love beyond numbers. In in his signature、uh, humble way, he said, "It would have been enough to win Wimbledon once." Okay, I went on and won it eight times. <laughs> But he said that is something that turned him into a statistic. Yes, yes. You know, for how many consecutive years can you hold the the title, and you know who holds the title for you know highest number of times? I remember listening to that show and thinking, this sounds so much like change management when you allow the framework and the methodology and the templates and the tools and the adoption trackers to inform decisions. I was recently in a conversation. We were speaking about people analytics and how they should inform decisions. Oftentimes, the trap is that people use analytics of any kind to validate decisions that they made. You know, almost like vanity、yeah. metrics, and not at all as as forward looking. So, I do believe that we learn by doing. I also believe that we learn about ourselves by what we feel. While we are doing things, whether that's gut feeling and we learn about intuition, whether that's joy and we learn where we take energy from, or simply we learn about boundaries. No, I, I love that point, and and I especially think that if you can find,、uh, you know, a career or some or a hobby where you really enjoy doing it, and there's this sort of virtuous circle, and you know, then you know, say the practicing, the training, say with Federer and tennis, obviously, clearly he loves it. So there's this sort of virtuous circle which is sort of pushing him to sort of get better and improve. Obviously, he's taking it to crazy levels. But even say in your working life, if you have to take an exam, which is hard, but you know that. By taking that exam and passing it, you'll be able to progress in your career. Then that gives you actual motivation.、Um, say with the podcast, you know, editing a podcast is not that interesting. But I know that if I don't edit it properly, it's not going to be、uh, as good as I can make it. So I think if you can al- align, say, tasks with a bigger goal,、um, and you really think about the process, I think that's really helpful. I mean, what do you think, Minola? Absolutely, yes. I, I would love to share a small personal story. You mentioned my article, so those articles they came literally out of nowhere. I think they came out of sheer boredom during the pandemic. So I started do I started writing them in July 2020. I was baking a bread, and I had this idea in my mind about what baking bread teaches me about change management. And I started writing it. It so happened it was a Tuesday. I loved the experience. Apparently, people resonated with it, and I oftentimes say that my series of Tuesday change management random thoughts is living proof of how bad I am at math. <laughs>、um, because my initial thought was, okay, I will write three, maybe five of them, and I wrote one hundred and one. So for one hundred and one weeks,、um, every Tuesday morning, I sat down and and I wrote it. Picking our conversation back up, it is tiring and it takes a lot of energy every Tuesday morning, you know, to write an article. But somehow that became bigger than the writing itself. I I even put in the in the last one in the one hundred and one article about what writing one hundred articles taught me about change management that. Those became my sanity milestones as I was navigating the pandemic, an international relocation, life events、yeah. uh, with highs and lows, as it so happened over the past two years, mostly lows. I remember I used to say to myself, if I can wake up every Tuesday at four a.m., listen to music for one hour, and then sit down in front of the laptop and let whatever crosses my mind out. I can deal with whatever happens over the next week. So I do believe that just doing a little bit consistently, but doing it with curiosity and with compassion and even with courage, I think that makes the difference. 
And I just, I just love that point. And, and for our listeners, I would definitely recommend, please go to Minoda's LinkedIn, link in with her and check out her 101 articles because they're, they are really good, very funny. Uh, but I, I love that thing about doing a little bit every day. Um, and say, you know, I'm sorry to go back to the podcast and the YouTube channel, but you know, it, it's, it's been running for about, um, I think back, I started back in 2021, so almost two years. And, you know, all, all I thought was at the beginning, just do a few episodes, but then, you know, uh, people liked it. They, there were, there was obviously a following that, that grew from it, but it was never in, an intention of, you know, keep going for two years. Um, but it was simply about doing a little bit at a time, getting feedback, getting, um, some data from the audience. You know, do they, what do they like? What don't they like? And then it's, it's funny, not, not thinking about the results or the end point, just, thinking about the journey, you know, I've got almost 200 like small YouTube clips. Um, and that's purely from doing a little bit at a time. Uh, and the same with the podcast, almost 50 episodes. And it's all just from doing one every couple of weeks. And I never wanted to put myself in a situation where it was too much of a, a hassle or a bind, but, you know, just get a small bit out all the time and, and try and be consistent. Um, so yeah, and I think that very much aligns with uh, yeah what what you think, isn't it, Minola? It does, and it's a little bit like knitting and crocheting. So um, I have this inner grandmother um, that I bring out to play every now and again, and that's my mindfulness practice. It gives me something to do with my hands, and then my mind wanders. And when I wrote about what knitting and crocheting um, teaches me about change management, I remembered this very small piece of dialogue from one of Hemingway's books where one character asks another, so how did you go bankrupt? And the answer is gradually then suddenly. (laughs) And it does have a bit of negative spin to it, but I believe that also good things happen like this, you know, gradually and then suddenly. And this gradually stands for each and every incremental thing that you do every day and then at one point you look back and and you see something happening and that happens in in knitting you know it's every stitch is one row at a time but then there comes a point when you feel whatever it is that you're making that starts to feel heavy on your lap and that's a sudden realization it happens in change work for example i also believe that it happens in life Again, going back to the recent visit of my best friend, we haven't seen each other face to face in six years. And we went down memory lane, you know, and and we talked about how we met. And our friendship was, you know, gradually, then suddenly there were small dots. And at one point we felt like we've known each other for, you know, at least 10 past lives. I think that also happens with careers. And when I was listening to, to you, there is this, Thing that is very important for me to say, it is not only our right, but it is our prerogative to change our minds. Whether that means, oh, I initially thought this is only, you know, two podcast editions or five articles. I changed my mind. I think I have two more in me. Yeah. Equally, just because you invest a lot of resources in a mistake, you don't have to carry it any further and change your mind and say, no, maybe that wasn't the best decision in my life. And especially with careers, I think that we don't talk enough about how important it is to hang on to your right and obligation to change your mind. I had a eureka moment regarding my career a few years back. I was in a tipping point. And it was clear that I made a series of decisions mostly because of inertia and mostly because of reactions to my circumstances. And I felt like I gave up all my power over my career because of life happening mostly. And also because I fell into that trap that success is happiness. They do look quite the same sometimes, but they're not the same thing. Again, serendipity. A friend of mine at at that moment in time, uh, he was upgrading his templates and, and tools. He was doing career coaching. And he asked me, hey, could you just have a look at my intake form? And I was like, oh, okay. And there were two questions very close to each other. 
that really stayed with me. One of them was, what were you taught about work growing up? And the other one was, what have you come to think and feel about work now? And my initial reaction was like, well, thank you so much, Stefan, because yet another trauma is exactly what I need at this moment in my life. But it proved to be the exact reflection space that I needed. And I I looked back and I was taught pretty much like everybody in in my generation and many others before me and, and, and after me that work is the main source of, of your identity yeah. and work is, you know, what, <clears throat> what gives people a very solid and consistent way of understanding who you are. And that is the source of your safety and security. And even back in, in communist Romania, when, when I was born and raised, you were hired to retire. So work was the most stable part of your life. And there's a lot of value in that. However, if you take that as the only truth in your life, it takes away your right to change your mind. And I realized that I learned that work is very important to me, that work does speak about who I am, but what I am is more than what I do. And I need different bits and pieces of work to keep my inspiration and motivation and creativity alive. I also learned that it is perfectly okay that in some moments of your life, work is work. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you don't respect your work. And that doesn't mean that you don't give it your best and something extra. But it means that that is not your entire life. No, I, I just love that point, Minona, because I think this whole idea of work is the only thing you get validation from your work. I think it's a very dangerous game to play. And and, and also, I think employers probably realize, look, you can't put employees in that situation because they're just going to burn out because, you know, you can't get the raise every year. You can't get the promotion. And then if you're not getting these sort of external validations, then you get frustrated and upset. And even though things are going well, um, in relative terms, you don't feel that you're progressing. So I suppose employers also, from their perspective, they want to make sure that employees do have the ability to do different things outside work. And and, and also I love the point you make about sometimes you do things out of inertia, you drift into a job and then maybe you're successful. But I do think it's important to always be mindful of uh, where you're going, what is the next step? I mean, you can't map out your career sort of five years ahead and stick to that rigidly because obviously you have things like the pandemic and you pivot. But I think being aware, being self-aware, and it's almost like a, a game of chess, a strategic game that you're making these moves and almost like a decision tree. If you go down this path, you get these results and then you assign probabilities to it. And I know that seems a bit mathematical and cold, but it's helpful You can't predict the future, but you can at least understand roughly what are the outcome, your potential outcomes, what are the risks. I think that why is an amazingly powerful question. I don't want to say that it is a compromise, but I do believe that there should be a if-then kind of scenario reflex that we apply. Yeah? Yeah. We apply in life. If I miss this flight, then my connecting flight is at risk. Yeah. And it's pretty much the same in our career. And going back to what we touched on a little bit early on in the conversation, if we develop this reflex of seeing every dot as part of a bigger picture, sure. Yeah. Sometimes we connect the dots to create knowledge. Sometimes we create the dots, you know, to simply be creative. And hopefully, sometimes we create the dots in such a way that it becomes wisdom. Yeah, yeah. And just to know why are you doing the things that you do? At one point, the answer, a perfectly legit and valid answer, is to cover the bills. And this might happen when you're 19 years old. This might happen when you're 42 years old. And and this is a perfectly okay situation if it happens when you're 50 years old. Yeah. Sometimes you are so inspired by the, the career opportunities that you have that it might become your life for a while. 
I believe that the trick is being intentional about it. And every now and again, stopping and reassessing, is this still who I am? Does this still speak about who I am? For example, after discovering those two questions, I am very intentional in how I do my introductions. And I say, I am Minola, and I currently serve as change and organizational development lead. That's what I do. That's part of who I am, but that's not who I am. I also add a bit of a fun fact, you know, that I come from the part of Romania called Transylvania, and I'm allergic to garlic, but, you know. (laughs) That's that's just to tell people that hey, don't expect normal from me anytime soon. <laughs> no, I, I can see your teeth, Minola. <laughs> yes, I have a wonderful dentist. <laughs> Moving on to sort of change, the pace of change in life is increasing so much. Let me say, with the pandemic, it's almost as if things have sped up after that, and I and I think it just makes us realize, look, especially with careers and managing your careers you have to have a sort of an adaptable mindset. You have to be comfortable with change because if you're always looking back to the past, it's like, say, you know, if you break up with somebody and you're looking back to that perfect girlfriend or boyfriend, there's no point looking back. You've got to look forward. I mean, you, you can't plan for everything. If something happens, then think, okay, what do I do now to get out of this situation? Uh, and sometimes it could be that you can't really do anything. But I think thinking th- things through rationally and just saying to yourself, look, okay, it is what it is. I mean, um, I mean, so what do you think about the ability to cope with change and being adaptable? My initial thought is that we oftentimes warn people against under planning and not enough against over planning. And uh, there is this wonderful story that I absolutely love about Sir Edmund Hillary Yeah, how he struggled with going to sleep the night before the last leg of ascent, thinking, you know, what if the oxygen will be not enough? And what if the weather won't hold? And what if, and what if, and what if? And and he literally put himself into this, you know, not at all sleep-friendly anxiety. And finally, he got to a place where I won't know unless I try. And the takeaway is that plants don't think. People do. I believe there is huge value in planning, but let's not get overly attached to plans. I think Eisenhower, if my memory works correctly, said that plans are useless, but planning is critical. I believe that if we train our mind to connect dots and to plan and to think of plan A, plan B, and you know, plan 25 uh, alphabet letters, I think there's value in that. I believe getting attached to plans and letting plans run us and not the other way around, I think that is a a pitfall. I also introduce myself as a serial immigrant. And if there's one thing that I learned, um, you know, through changing 14 countries over 20 years is that nothing ever goes according to plan. But what you really get a very deep yet extremely painful and frustrating understanding of your own self is how you get attached to things or to plans as an illusion of control. Your control is over how you react, nothing else. And we discover that we actually need so few things and even so significantly fewer information to make decisions than we initially think that we do. No, I just love that point because I think that the two really nice things I've taken out of that one, I think it's about taking action. You know, you can plan and plan and plan, but eventually you've just got to just go for it. And you're not always going to have full information. You just have to just go for it. Um, Say if you're applying to a new job or thinking of changing the department, you can do some research. But you know, sometimes you just have to go with a gut instinct. But also, I think this idea of reacting to things, I, I totally agree with that. There is so much within our control over how we react. And you get you know one type of person who potentially, if things don't quite work out, they just freak out and they think, oh, my God, the rest of my life is over. I can't do anything. I'm a failure. And then on the other extreme, it's just, okay, what's happened has happened. However bad it is, um, I just have to think clearly. And I think going forward, thinking clearly, that is going to be such an important trait going forward. I, I love something that, that you said, you know, about 
thinking clearly. And, and I would add something. There are situations in life or work where the most control you have over what is happening is your inner self-talk. And this, oh my God, I'm a failure. If I would had a penny for every time I told myself that I was a failure, I would probably be on my own private <laughs> island doing something completely different. Or, or maybe not, but I would definitely you know, be in a much more successful uh, place. I'm, I'm sure you'd still be on reframe and reset your career, Manila. We still would have met, I'm sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I remember a few years ago, I was invited by a friend of mine to give a, a talk on self-rejection. And I actually started that with, hello, my name is Minola and I'm a self-rejection subject matter expert. I I came to believe that we make this mistake of thinking that conversations and stories, they happen externally and you have them with someone else. Yet the most conversations and most stories and most meaningful stories and conversations are the ones that we have with our own selves. Why would I be my harshest critic? You know, there's an infinite and, and self-generating line of people, you know, criticizing me. Why should I drown their voices with my own? And it is true, there are situations where we feel helpless and hopeless. Been there, done that several times. It's it's definitely not a fun place to be. And And my heart goes out to anyone and everyone who is struggling at the moment. But I do believe that the the smallest thing that we can do is to put self in front of the three key words, curiosity, courage, and compassion. And when we speak with us, we are mindful. And that might be the single smallest, yes, most powerful unit of control that we have over our life. I totally agree. I think we all should be a bit kinder to ourselves because these are tough times. And if you're not kind to yourself and you don't praise things when they've gone well, then like who is going to do that? So yeah, no, I just love that. And we're coming up to the end, end of our time, Enola. And I was just, it's gone so, so quickly. But um, one thing I just wanted to check, do you have any thoughts about navigating, you know, for people who say have lost their job or they're looking for, for new work, do you have any uh, thoughts about navigating the job search process? First and foremost, do not self-reject. Do not fall in the trap that if you don't tick all the boxes in a job description or in a role description, or if you had 10 applications that feel like black holes, speak to yourself as you would support your best friend going through the same situation. What I have learned while I was in the same situation not too long ago, I learned that the universe falls in love with a stubborn heart. And if rationally you feel that everything is just a dead end, if, if you feel that there is something out there for you, it is. And what, what I would say is when it feels too much, go for a walk, reframe and reset the way you think about it. And what I learned, people can reach out to me and, and I'm, I'm happy to, to detail this. If I look back at rejections that really unsettled me and made me question my sanity even, those rejections were protections. And whatever it is that you do, do it knowing who you are. And then what you can do will show up. Reach out to people and take no as the gift of time and energy to be repurposed. Yeah, no, I just love that. And and I also think, yeah, as you're saying, if you are stuck or you've hit a roadblock, it's definitely worthwhile, you know, if you have some good friends, speak to them. Because I think keeping things in your head is is not good. Um, and if you explain that the situation to somebody else, maybe they can see something that you're not doing well or maybe look at your CV or look at an application and just see if there are things that you're not expressing properly. Because oh, obviously, I think it's important to be stubborn, but it's also important to just check in and just figure out, am I doing things the right way? Maybe uh, course correcting slightly might help. And and also one, one point that 
that I learned, and it's still a struggle of mine, is to ask for the help that helps you. Because some people, when you share the situation that you're dealing with, they will automatically jump to solutions. And you could say, look, before we speak about how I can tweak my CV or how I can add 27 more lines in my Excel spreadsheet, I just need a space to let this frustration out because if I take it with me in an interview, yeah, I do believe that people have by default an embedded energy radar. Sometimes the best help is a safe space to vent and rent. And then we can update the CV. We can rethink about, you know, companies. We can rethink about potential career avenues, but also ask for the help that helps you. No, no, just love that point. And, uh, you know, I think it's that it's the whole idea of being in a good headspace, because clearly if you go to an interview and you're not confident, you, you feel not good about yourself, that is definitely going to come through and people are going to pick up on that vibe. They need people who can sort of hit the ground running, who are positive. And even if they're not feeling that, you always have to sort of fake it to a certain extent. Yeah. One of my best friends, she went for a job interview a few years back and we connected after the job interview and I asked her, so how do you think it went? And she said, oh, I think I told them everything they wanted to hear. Is that who you are? And for how long do you think you can work for a company that hires your persona and not your personality? So I, I very recently realized that oftentimes we sacrifice our authenticity for safety. But at the end of the day, the only safety that we have is our authenticity. So I go into an interview and I say what people want to hear that might be part of what an interview should be yeah yeah no and 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 i think that that's really important because ultimately look you can't fake it um you know uh 10 hours a day for you know five days a week it's just too hard and then i think maybe that's also a good sign of information that clearly look if i have to do that then this isn't really the right organization for me and i need to like figure out a way of um finding the right one because i think look you know you can't you know, be best friends with everybody. But I do think, you know, there's a particular culture and there's a particular way of doing things from a sort of a high level perspective. And if you don't fit in with that, then it's probably going to be just too hard working in that environment on a long-term basis. I think that ultimately we owe it to ourselves to be best friends with ourselves. And we owe it to ourselves to be our own best colleague. Because if this is a congruent relationship, then people will pick up on it and they will know where you stand and they will know what you stand for. And they will also know that you actually stand for something. So this is my advice, especially for those who go through reframing and resetting. Be your own best friend and be your own best colleague. And then everybody will follow your lead. Oh, fantastic, Manila. So look, we're, we're coming up to the end of our time. And uh, yeah, we could have had a part two and part three. Just there's so much stuff. All, all my research, you know, went out the window. We just ended up chatting away. And, and we never found out why your nickname is Einstein as well. But, you know, maybe uh, when we meet again, we can we can chat about that. And one final thing. Is there anybody you'd like to give a shout out to who's helped you in your life or career? Um, any particular person? There are a few people that are very, very meaningful to me. One of them is one of my former line managers. And, and after our professional ways parted, we became very deep and very close friends. And, and she's one of the most meaningful people in my life. Her name is Tatiana. And I also have someone we met by accident as the best things happen in life. And he became one of the lighthouses in both my my life and work and every conversation with him his name is Wagner every conversation with him feels like a hug to my mind and heart and soul and i am deeply grateful to these two i bought snoop dogg's book from crook to cook and i i just remembered his speech when he got the uh, his star on the hollywood walk of fame with Last but not least, I would like to thank me, uh, you know, for never quitting and for believing in me. 
I didn't believe in myself enough in many situations. And if there's any parting thought that I would leave with our audience, this is actually one of my slides in all my change management um, decks and, and we're recording before Christmas. So I think it, it, it applies is that if you believed in Santa Claus for eight years, you can believe in yourself for like five minutes. I just love that. And I think if people do believe in themselves a bit more, that is just so powerful because, you know, just look, look at your past history and the things that you've done and focus on those and not, you know, things that have gone wrong. Because I think people are too quick to put themselves down every day. Just focus on the things that you've done well. And it really does reset it. And I find if I'm, say, struggling with a task um, or, you know, not, not getting inspired, I try and um, do something that I can do. Maybe go back to edit editing a podcast or editing a, a, a YouTube clip. And then I know, okay, I've done it. I've done that discrete task. I feel better. Or even sort of if you're looking for a job, just email people or try and connect with people on LinkedIn. And if you, um, you know, you, you don't necessarily have to get a response, but at least you feel you've done something and reached out to that person. And I do think that sort of almost, I think, breaks up something in your mind that things aren't working out because it's too easy to to be hard on yourself and and say I'm not good enough or I can't do it um forget about that and just think okay focus on what you can do and then work from that um I mean what do you think Manola I think that there is one fundamental value in looking back and looking at your past and that is that you realize that you have 100% successful track record in overcoming things that while you were going through them, you thought you would never make it. I do believe that there's huge self-validation and self-confidence and even self-pride in looking in your past and really realizing I have a spotless track record of overcoming things I thought I wouldn't. I just love that. And I think it really does help move you, move you forward. But Binola, just once again, thank you so much for taking the time to catch up with us today. Uh, and good luck for 2023. Um, actually, th this the podcast will be coming out then. We'll be looking into the future from 2022. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you to everybody listening for taking the time and the curiosity. Just have a stubborn heart and your mind will follow. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Manola. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening and staying to the end. That was such a fun interview. If you'd like to listen to more episodes, please subscribe to the podcast, which is available on your favorite providers and subscription is free. If you wish to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, please take a look at the show notes, which are available online. Thanks once again for listening. Wishing you success with your career. I hope you will join me again in the future.